0: And they said, and I can remember their words, their word for word. First one started, it will be transparent. The second one continued, we don't care what people think. All we want is for all people in this country to have been given the same sheet of facts, and upon that they will make their decisions. Kia ora, I'm Troy, here is CEO, and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints.
1: So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today we're talking with Timothy Harris, Managing Director of Empowering Change. Timothy is on a mission to bring about transformation in people and organisations by unpacking the ins and outs of Titeriti Tiriti o Waitangi and its implications in the workplace. Uh, kia ora Timoti. Um, I guess we want to start with, um, start at the start. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and I guess how you came to be in your current role because it sounds like it's um, it's an interesting role
0: and possibly a bit of a story there. Uh, kia ora, Greg. Uh, yes, well, I'm an interesting character in some ways because I'm an adopted child. I'm a whangai child, so I have no whakapapa, so I have no known although I'm just beginning now to learn about that through... Um, doing the old DNA sampling. So that's another story. So I grew up in a little country town called Taupiri in the Waikato. Um, Did all my education there and trained to be a teacher. And so I'm primary trained. And then I became a secondary teacher. And from there also went on to university to lecture and teacher training and eventually to Te Wananga Aotearoa and also did teacher training there. And then um, after a couple of stints in schools, I took over principalship of a secondary school. So, and how did I end up in this job? Well, about five, six years ago, because we have a large family and we thought, uh, principal of a secondary school, we don't get much time to see them. And we've got uh, 24 grandchildren. We've got some great-grandchildren as well. So we wanted to actually get to spend time with them. So decided to retire. Which gave us just enough time to see the family and get back into this work around the treaty, which is something I've done for probably thirty-five years.
1: Wow! So there's definitely a uh, a very, <laughs> a very strong education bent.
0: Yes, uh, now I, I def- my, my wife and I we're both teachers, and five of our children are teachers, and three of their partners are teachers, and the first of our grandchildren is a teacher as well. So yeah, education is very much our profession.
1: I, I have to ask, is there any rules around uh, no talking
0: shop at family, family <laughs> gatherings or does that get thrown out the window? Unfortunately, it gets thrown out the window. But the interesting thing we found in our family is for any person who has said, I will never be a teacher, have become teachers. <laughs> so <laughs> don't, don't say those cursed don't words. That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, I guess, I mean, you've mentioned uh, the treaty. Um, in, in brief, can can you tell us what is uh, Te Tiriti o Waitangi and from your perspective and in, in the work
0: that you're doing, how is it relevant today? What is Te Tiriti o Waitangi? Hmm. A very important document that was signed, agreed to a long time ago, 1840. It wasn't our first written document. There's a document that precedes it which is our Declaration of Independence. Um, However, the treaty itself, it's an agreement between, uh, at that time, um, England, but really it was the Crown, uh, and the Māori tribal groupings in Aotearoa New Zealand. And it was a way to begin a more formalised settling of the two groups living in this country. So it's always fascinated me, mainly because the more um, I have walked in all my different um, jobs, I've realised that just about no one in our country knows anything about the treaty. So we call it Te or Waitangi as opposed to the Treaty of Waitangi because they're two documents written in two languages that say different things. And, and so that has worried me from the beginning in that so when we're talking with people, I always find people have quite strong attitudes around the treaty. However, I worry because uh, when I ask people what the treaty said or anything about the treaty, my experience is normally that we don't know. And, And as an educator, and that's really where all my lines cross, because as an educator, I wonder, why don't we know about the treaty? And as an educator, I know that the reason is because we've never taught our history. And for some reason, for 182 years, we have, except for a very small group of senior students who might do New Zealand history, basically no one in our country learns anything about it. Therefore, there's a danger that for a lot of us, we hold opinions about something that we actually don't know what it said. (laughs)
1: yeah. <laughs> yes, you, you speak of that danger that yes, I, I I'm here, I have this opinion, but I don't really truly understand why. Um, and I, I'm, I'm guessing that yeah, that would be a, a fascinating point to sort of launch off from. you've you've mentioned and and you've kind of alluded to in your answer that uh, Tiriti and the treaty are, are different are different documents. Um, and the fact that they're in different languages, and and that kind of thing, in in I guess the education that you're doing. What are some of the other differences that you're able to kind of point out, so that people understand? Or what what are the implications of even those two things, um, in terms of uh, the the differences and how they can become quite vastly different
0: uh, mm. documents? Mm. Yes, yeah, so I. I, I, like when, when I do any sort of workshop around this, I always, it, it, it is not a time to tell people a lot of things, it is a time to pose lots of questions. The differences between Te Triti, the Māori version, and the treaty, um, in some ways can be described as small, however they're extremely significant. Um, we haven't got time to go into all those sort of things here, (laughs) but I guess it's saying, you know, if, if we were going to draw up a, a treaty between two people, I guess there would be some simple understandings nowadays that we would do. And one of them is you would have one treaty, not two, not two that are written in two languages, not two that are written in two languages that say slightly, but importantly, different things. Um, the fact that the Treaty of Waitangi was signed by 37 people, Te Tiriti was signed by 539 people. The fact that the people who signed the Māori version would have believed it was legit, just like the other version. The people who signed the English version would have believed it was legit, just like the other version. And in fact, so, so... <laughs> The the discussing as to what those differences are, um, I tend to say there are two majors, there are two major differences. One is um, the fact that the word taonga or treasure is used. Now for Māori in general, Māori have a, a different understanding to what, what is a taonga, what is a treasure, to what maybe... Uh, the settlers had at the time. So to be able to say things in a treaty like anything that you claim, that you describe as a treasure, um, we will do nothing to damage in any way. And then to find later that, well, treasures include mountains, rivers, Uh, it, it includes the language, and it includes saying karakia, and it includes rituals, called tikanga, and so we realise that it's as we um, spend more time, I guess, talking about the treaty, we realise that the understanding of those differences of opinions were not known at the time. It was just assumed, and, um, and therefore we've got the issues that we have today. And the issues today, I think there's a, there's a huge amount of goodwill in Aotearoa, a huge amount. However, we go back to the original point, the average person is not aware of what it said. And my experiences of 30 years of workshopping is really when people hear, the average person uh, is not anti at all. Mm. Most people ask the question, why is it that we didn't know this? Why is it that we've never been told? And that, I think, is just a simple sadness.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as you described it, I can't help but think of, you know, um, an experience. I have my my wife is from uh, the U.S. And we often talk about the fact that we are, you know, we are both fair skinned. We both grew up speaking English. Um, uh, we grew, grew up on opposite sides of the world. But yet there is so much in our upbringing that means uh, so different. And and you know even one of the things that we've actually sat down and done is we've sort of looked at a list of words and gone well what does that mean to you and versus what does it mean to me and some of the things are just so incredibly different and and that's in a situation where on the surface of things we look very similar and and we, the, the the assumption would be is we we come from very very um, similar starting points mm-hmm. heaven forbid that we come into a scenario whereby. Um, we're, you know, talking about literally worlds and universes apart in terms of the Māori people mm-hmm. in Aotearoa and, you know, the settlers coming in. Um, and I just, I can't help but think, you know, as, as, as you're talking, you know, you're selling your greatest asset. You know, you maybe for, for, for you or I, that might be our home. Would you agree to the same terms mm-hmm. in, in which um, the treaty was written uh, in terms of the sale and and and
0: long term ownership of your home, I don't I don't mm. think you would. <laughs> I I and I think it's it's part of that whole you know just listening to or considering logically when when Treaty of Waitangi the Treaty of Waitangi when they were signed in 1840, there was about 1800 settlers here, there were 150,000 plus of Māori, and I just I guess I've always wondered that. Why would 150,000 people give everything to 1,800 people? There's something, something's gone wrong, whether it's a misunderstanding, whether it's a bit more naughty than that, whether it's deliberate by some. Well, it's always hard to look back 182 years, but what we do know is that what different people representing those two treaties signed are... it's in dispute now because we now know they're quite different in mm. some of the things they say.
1: And I, I can't help but think, you know, obviously there's a huge amount of complexity to the issue, but if nothing else, to be able to get to a starting point where you can, you know, like you say, simply acknowledge the difference and, and acknowledge the lack of knowledge, then we can work on, on what happens next. Yeah. But until that's in play, yeah. it's a very it's a very hard thing to do anything meaningful. Yeah.
0: And I think there's probably also has been a bit of a worry for me, I think, is that when the Waitangi Tribunal was set up in 1985, that really has become the treaty by default. Like for, for many Māori, they've had stories of the treaty for all time since mm. it was signed. But when, when the treaty tribunal was set up, that's when we always hear it. So we hear it in the context of, oh, the treaty's about land, uh, the treaties about land treaties about lots oh. and lots of things yeah. so um yeah Maybe
1: interesting before. very very interesting um there's there's been obviously a lot a lot of you know the the the, the um tribunal has been set up in the eighties um and but we're starting to see um some interesting shifts happening um there's been a big movement for Kura to start teaching on the history of uh te Tiriti or Waitangi. Finally, um, do you have any thoughts around, like, I guess, why you know, why has this come
0: about? Yes, um, the story of the history curriculum, Te Takanga o te Wa uh, for New Zealand, which comes into force as at the beginning of next year, uh, it all started in, a, in in a college that I happen to be principal of in 2014, in a, in a college called Otorohanga. And a group of kaumātua came to our school and said there are big celebrations going to be held at a place called Orako, which is by Kihikihi, Teumutu, uh, for the 150th um, anniversary commemoration of a, of a battle that occurred there, one of the land battles in Waikato in the 1860s. And um, so we decided to take the school, So we loaded up all the buses at our kaumātua and a large number of our staff, and off we went. And we went to Orako, and we heard the stories there, and then we were taken to another, and these were only 17 kilometres from our school. So that was a bit sad, really, that we realised that we were being taken to be told things that we weren't going to teach, because we don't teach them. And then we went about five kilometers from there and we went to a place called Rangiafia. And there uh, we heard the most sad, sad story. And I guess there's, there's sad stories in all histories. It's the fact that we don't know ours. So we went and we listened to our kuia and our kaumātua in amongst the tears and the really sad stories and I'll keep it very short. But basically, as the troops were coming through Waikato, they'd left Rangariri, heading towards um, the battle at Orako, or that's where it ended up. And they sent a message through to say, round up your old people and round up your babies and put them in the church and put them in those houses at Rangiafia, and when the troops come through, they will be safe. Well, when the troops came through, they set fire to them. Now, while we were sitting there, quite deeply moved, I would say, two of our two of our girls, year 11s, one Māori, one non-Māori, one came to me and one went to the head of Māori. So I had a, a Māori student come to me and our European student went to head of Māori and they both said, this is so wrong. This is so wrong that we've travelled 17 kilometres from our school to hear a story that we would never have been told and we, and it's our story, we should know the story. So after discussions it was decided, it was time for a petition, um, and the girls led the petition with other students in the college, mainly girls, some of the boys. And over till the end of 2015, when we had the number of uh, signatures we needed, Went to Wellington, that was pretty big for our little college, um, and uh, handed over the petition. And the girls were called back at the beginning of 2016 to the Māori Select Committee, Māori Affairs Select Committee, and uh, they were interviewed and asked what was the petition about. And the girls had wanted two things, that the history of Aotearoa be taught to every child in this country, uh, and that a separate day or a special day be set aside when all of us would pledge as people of this land to learn something from our past so that we would be more educated going forward. Right at the end of their select committee appearance, the girls were asked what was uh, a pretty exciting question. One of the panels said, if we grant you your petition, what will our country look like in 25 years? And although we were in attendance, you're not allowed to talk or sit close. So we thought, this will be the girls, <laughs> totally. And they said, and I can remember their words, their word for word. First one started, it will be transparent. The second one continued, we don't care what people think. All we want is for all people in this country to have been given the same sheet of fact." and upon that they will make their decisions. So that was it. basically it got passed in the Parliament and um, rolls out at the beginning of next year which is so exciting because whether it's or Waitangi, whether it's Rangiafia, whether it's the land wars, whether it's the taking of most of the South Island we, you know just with a um, a decision really. Um, until we know what happened, I guess it's people just we just want to hear our stories, and they 're not anti european or settler they're about the stories, and some of them um, are a little bit uncomfortable, however, they're our stories so so i'm excited as a as an educator that as from the beginning of next year, for all my colleagues who are teachers, they're under huge stress because Well, they are all, um, they went to school where they were never taught. And then they went to schools of ed where they trained as teachers and basically not taught. And now they're teachers and they have to teach a curriculum that a lot of it, they don't know. So it's a real catch up time for us. And I guess that's part of what's going on in our country. We're realizing that we just haven't known for too long. And what we haven't known has affected us because we're meant to be partners. That's what the treaty said. You know, I always say Treaty Tetariti, it had two signatories. It had a group called Māori, and they were named, and the other group was called Crown. So we, we need to know the stories, and hence the, <laughs>
1: the work on yeah. Tetariti. Here we are, and I think I mean you've you've probably covered, um, I guess, um, a bunch of uh, my 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 next few questions. But you know you've you've you've, in um, in recounting what those girls said, I think you've sort of covered away what what you might think, and it certainly sounds what I I might think. Uh, this means for future generations. I think there's a there's a beauty in the simplicity of that statement um in that you know that's what it will mean um and i guess what i'm also interested to know is is that what's been the and you you've alluded to it in that there's possibly a, a discomfort in the knowledge gap but what are some of the other things that have um kind of come your way in terms of feedback around this initiative and people's reactions to it
0: well, as I say, uh, my my experiences, and I guess I meet um, a few thousand every year who are trying to go down these journeys, people are positive, however people are frustrated too. Because for most of us, if I if I ask the average person in New Zealand, can you name me some iwi? Can you tell me about tikanga Māori? Can you tell me about um, the waka when they first arrived in Aotearoa? It most of us have to say, oh, I don't know a lot about that. And that's at one level, we can say, look, it's not really our fault. We were never taught it. And at, at one level, that is true. At the other level, it's going, yeah, but we were partners. That's what the treaty said. We would be partners. And I sort of. I guess that's where the sadness is, in that when we agreed that we wouldn't um, damage or lessen um, taonga that is, of a Māori world, I think, wow. In 1840, everyone here spoke Māori. All, all the missionaries, the first schools in New Zealand, all in Māori. All the settlers, they spoke Māori. We So there was a Tonga and you think, wow. In 1840, we all spoke Māori. By 1940 or 1950, it was recognised as in, in big trouble, and it wasn't until the petition went in 1975 that suddenly Tonga as a language, it was recognised, we've got to do something. You know, we still look at, I can I can still go in lots of places where our ability to even greet, or our willingness—I'm not sure it could be either—to just greet a Māori person by using a Māori greeting. Um, So I don't I don't experience um, negativity. What I do experience is frustration and and a sense of awe of. Going wow, there is so much that we don't know, and we need to know it because we're treaty partners. And I can't, I can't, ex- I, I, I can't emphasise that enough. Really, I think we are all treaty partners by the fact that we're connected either to the Crown or connected to Māori. So we are a treaty partner. But I'm, I guess my journey has been. I'm really interested in us being active treaty partners, and that means that we can use a little bit of Māori, that we pronounce places correctly, that we know the stories, we know that, because those are our stories. I'm about to go off to um, um, Scotland and and Wales and Ireland and England, and I just, all, all our research preparing for those is the stories, the language, the languages, the pronunciation, the histories, and you think, we can't just go there. We, we need to know some of that so we're going to understand it too. So, um, I mean, I'm incredibly optimistic for where, where we're going because lots and lots of people want to do lots and lots of work to learn. However, it's a time of setting the questions and for all of us then to find our own path. It's not a matter of saying, here are 10 things you need to know, know these and you'll be fine. It's going, do you feel okay about it? Not having some of those knowledges, do you feel okay about not knowing what the treaty said? And if the answer is no, I'd love to know what it says. Then this is the time to start doing that work.
1: All right. Well, I think it's it's about time we get into the really interesting part. Then the really not that this isn't interesting, but this is the, this is this is this is the uh, obviously this is the educational context, the schooling system, and, and there's a degree of okay, we can rationalise. The meaning of history and 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 the need for education and, and and that part makes sense but um i'm really interested to get you to dive in for us into uh workplace organizations and and i guess uh obviously we're, we're we're dealing with uh correcting some of the knowledge gaps in an educational setting but why why is it important for these workplace organizations to to go down a similar a similar path
0: it, as a personal opinion, I think it's just we're we're all of this country. We all are citizens of Old New Zealand. Therefore, we all are connected through the treaty. However, the big part for me is, I as as a principal, I would do this with my own staff, and that is, I like going to any place in our country, particularly buildings, and I like just sitting there and and. Um, First of all, I just take a little bit of time to listen and I think, can I hear anything in this building or in this room or in this meeting? or Can I hear anything from a Māori world? And then I try to look around the building. What do I see on the walls here that tell me I'm in Aotearoa, New Zealand? I've always said that about classrooms. If I go into a classroom, I. And if I can sit there and I do do this, close my eyes, listen for five minutes, and I go, can I guarantee I'm in a learning space in Aotearoa? And that's based on what I hear. So if I'm hearing um, Māori being used, greetings being used, correct pronunciations, anything like that, I go, definitely this is not Sydney. Hmm. Then I open my eyes and then I look at what's on the walls and ask the same thing. Can I guarantee that this is a learning space in this country? So it's the same for me in businesses and industry. I mean, a lot of people talk about when you first arrive at Māngere and you come in and you're walking down those corridors and you hear the tui and you see whether it's the whakaro, the carvings, the, the pictures that are there, you think, this is Old Teorua. We're home. We're back in our unique place. So for workplaces, I always ask, what what do we do every day in a workplace that makes us or shows that we are um, active treaty partners? So what is our pronunciation like? How do we use greetings? What is on our walls? What sort of art? What is on the letters that we write? Do we include some of the Māori world in whatever we're doing? The Māori world is the world of old Aotearoa. I think most of us know that when we're overseas... And you're walking down a street in some far off country, if you hear a waiata being played, you just immediately go, Hey, that's from home, because it's distinctively unique of here. And I guess that's what the treaty said. The treaty said that all those taonga would be nurtured, would be looked after, would not be destroyed. So back to the question of what will it look like in a business or a company or a school or anything is, where is the Māori world? It's not saying a Maori world is better. It's, but it's also saying that it's not less. So, go into supermarkets. Gee, we've got supermarkets now that that have big headings on their walls in Maori language. You think awesome. We've got shopping centres where my and I guess the point is, it's not hurting at all. It's just normalising and Maori world. Well, you know, the bottom line is, Māori world was here first. If Māori language, if the Māori world, for whatever reason, disappeared from Aotearoa, there's not one other place on planet Earth where it exists. Every other culture we have in this country belongs somewhere else. So, or or has another home. Therefore, um... Uh, yeah my worry is or my my commitment is to see more of a maori world visible yeah yeah
1: I, l- I like that idea of um distinctly aotearoa you know and i think that's a that's a great starting point for businesses i'm you know i'm aware of uh, you know there's uh the red ocean blue ocean kind of uh thinking paradigm and it's it's going um you know even if we struggle to maybe go as far as um almost devaluing uh the world worldview in terms of oh i need it because it's a competitive advantage. But I think through the lens of that red ocean, blue ocean, I think in the in the world of business, if you're wanting to create that that ocean where you can exist and you get to dictate uh to your uh competitors, to your suppliers, to all of those people that you're working with, the blue ocean is in is in having a stronger understanding of your uniquely Aotearoa proposition. Um, and yeah, obviously, this is a, a great way to do that. Um, we hear uh, a lot about unconscious bias or the hidden curriculum in the context of Te T. From the, the work that you, you've done,
0: I mean, what are the impacts of this in the workplace? Well, I think, again, I mean, the unconscious bias is just the fact that we all carry bias. That's kind of part of the human is that we carry bias. And we carry the bias of that which we know. So it's very hard to not know the things we don't know. So I wonder whether our unconscious bias, if we're going to have a meeting, unless someone brings it up, and I guess we've just had it in the news of late, of uh, some of us would like to start a meeting with a karakia, the rest of us wouldn't think to do that, because that's not necessarily our bias. It is the fact that, um, as I say, unconscious bias, how how we pronounce is an unconscious bias. Um, I guess we all have stereotypes as well, they go with unconscious bias, and, and so for, we will have unconscious bias or stereotype beliefs about Māori in general. So I think that because until we operate a little bit more in the other world of, of being able to take more of the other world uh, for granted, that's when we start to normalise our own ways of seeing. So um, whether it is learning some of the tikanga, so ways that Māori do things, because but it's not just for Māori. Because if I look at other cultural groups or ethnicities in our country, um, I think we'd we would be well served by trying to learn a little bit about them. The uniqueness always for me is coming back. This is Māori tangata whenua. They were the first here. And again, I reiterate, I don't believe it makes Māori any better. But Māori, I believe, have been made to be less in some circumstances. And we know already that Uh, Whether you want to look at health statistics, and this is where it gets all a little bit controversial, because if you look (laughs) at health statistics, um, people incarcerated, educational pass rates, uh, uh, our illness rates, we could go on, Māori um, are represented in the lower groups. And that leaves the question, and it's one that I think we all, as Kiwis, I think we all need to, why is that? And is that Okay. I mean, last year they released the stats to show that cancer rates in women in New Zealand, if you're a Māori woman in this country and you get cancer, you're twice as likely to die. Now, we can go back to the treaty and go, well, that's a, that, that's an issue within the treaty we need to talk about. Or even at, at a basic human level, for us to agree that one group is twice as likely to die of, of a certain condition, I think... Kiwis, I think the average Kiwi will think about that and just go, there's something wrong somewhere. And I guess treaty workshops are all about saying, yeah, and some of it is quite historic and it's just gone on and on and on over a long time. The very fact that we're feeling now that Māori suddenly has a higher profile one of the most memorable things that a parent ever said to me at Otorohanga College was she came in, and this was not sort of going me, me, but she said, I've come to thank you, Timothy, because you've normalised being Māori. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that's a really, that's a profound comment. Mm-hmm. And And it's, I don't know, it's a bit of a worrying to be able to have yourself normalised mm-hmm. as the people who actually this is your only home. So I think there's there's a lot of talking and that's why it's a, it's a slow it's a slow process but I think it's just to find the questions because mm. in the end having the new question is what drives us it's not finding the answer because the answer think is another question <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so so for me uh, the whole thing of unconscious bias we all have it it's time to be looking at ourselves to say, what bias do I carry? What are the stereotypes I carry for a Māori world? Mm. Um, And then what's it based on? It's the same as if we are well aware that the treaty um, we have strong opinions on but do not know its contents, we've got to ask the question, wow, what have I based my opinions on? How I feel, what did I base it on if I can't tell you what it says? And... That's not pointing the finger at anyone. it's just saying this is a big issue that mm. we've all got to do the pondering. have time to ponder
1: i I, lo- I love that idea that it's almost how do we uh, deconstruct our bias by zeroing in on that empathy uh, at a at a human level you know, letting that be the thing that leads us mm. so that we can then sit in that discomfort and I guess begin to unpack and deconstruct. Our bias and why we're here and, and i think we can lead with that empathy and see the person Um, so much of this makes so much more sense because we have such a tendency to be blinded by those things mm. when you know if uh if i was to confront you know confront someone and say look uh, you, yeah i guess it's that idea that you know show some empathy be empathetic first
0: and then we can deal with everything mm. else that comes mm, kind mm. of comes after yeah. it yeah, because I guess I like as as a as a teacher, I'm well aware that, you know, for a long time we hardly ever told a story that came from a Māori world. And I always I would argue we should know as much about um our kings, the Māori kings and queens, as we should of famous people elsewhere in the world. I often ask my groups when we are together, I said, if 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 I went out into the car park and and I found um ten 70-year-old European men, and one of them was King Charles, and I brought them all in, just walked them through the room and out the other door, I bet everyone in the room would go, oh, that's King Charles. If I went out into the car park again, and amongst the ten Māori men that are standing out there in their 60s, and I walked them through, and one of them was Tu Heitea, to Kingi Māori, would any of us go, oh, that's the Māori king? And so that, for me, that's part of the treaty, which said, hey, we said if it's a taonga, if it's something special in a Māori world, we would do, we would not do anything to damage. So I'm thinking there's lots of things in a Māori world that we don't know. And it's not because we don't care or are not interested. We don't know. And how, how do we start that? The beautiful thing is our young ones. You, know, you go into any kura, any school now, and those kids, their pronunciation's beautiful, they know heaps of waiata they've gone on trips, they've been to sacred mountains, and you think, yeah, that's awesome, that's cool, because that's the future. But a lot of us got caught in the middle, and we're the ones who are expected to know, and uh, but we weren't taught. And we're the ones who the kids are going, hey, Dad, that's not how you say that. And that's part of the new world. So we're getting there. It's changing, but... Um, yeah, I just, all I feel for our group, if you like, yeah. the group that are now in the workforce, and are being expected to deliver now on treaty things when the average person's going, oh, I don't even know what it means. Mm.
1: Growth, growth is inherently uncomfortable, and I think that that's possibly what we're <laughs> what we're experiencing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, there obviously are obviously a many who might feel that titeriti. Uh, brings an unfair advantage to Māori over non-Māori. What, I mean, what's your instinctive response to that? Oh, I think my instinctive
0: is saying, let's go to 1840 when we signed it. So Māori language was spoken by everyone, that just about all the land in Aotearoa was owned by Māori, that Māori ways of being and everything were the ways of being. And we look to now and we go, um, <clears throat> uh, 6% of our Māori youth are in Māori medium schools, that's all. We are saying that <coughs> um, the land, well, you can, I mean, again, we could talk for hours about treaty settlements, but realising that, like, how, how do you redress the fact that Te Waipounamu, the South Island, was just taken, the whole lot, just taken? So then when they, when Ngai Tahu, for example, don't really want to talk about iwi, but when they get a treaty settlement um, of 170 million with bits of land and, and other things and whatever, and you think, really? That's the settlement after the whole lot was taken? And of course the answer is, well, like like many iwi, they're going, hey, let's just take the money and make it work. But when we say, so it favours Māori, Look, if anyone knows anything about the Treaty of Waitangi or the Treaty Tribunal, and oh, those tribunal claims, 20, 25 years, lawyers, commissions, do Māori get more? Well, remember that the whole thing is about trying to redress what Māori had. And Māori aren't doing, is my worldview. Māori aren't saying, "Hey, you took the whole South Island, want the whole South Island back?" They're not saying that. They're going, "Okay, we'll take what you off out, and we were going to make do." You go to places like your place here in Auckland. You've got some amazing stories here of iwi that ended up with just about nothing, and have had to claw it back under the Waitangi Tribunal. You think? So I can see how some people go, "Oh, look, Marty got another hundred and twenty million. Oh, gee, Marty getting that. Marty got that mountain." I guess part of it is what did they have to begin with. Mm. Um, So I I do. I mean, obviously, I hear that question all the time. Of I reckon Marty get more. But Māori are still fighting for their language. You sort of think, you know, the old saying is, it "takes one generation to lose it, and it takes three generations to rebuild it." We've been rebuilding since you know the nineteen seventies. We've got a long way to go yet, but it's it's getting there. But so so, do Māori get more? This is redressing what is. Remember, the Waitangi Tribunal is like is a court. You got to prove it. And it only recommends to a government. It doesn't tell the government what to do. The government in the end makes the decision. It has to be an act of parliament when it's made. But what people are trying to do is say, a treaty was signed in good faith and some people didn't keep it. Some people were very good. But some people didn't keep it. And it's involved lots and lots of loss. When we think of peoples who lost hundreds of thousands of acres of land just taken. And in that land was also their marae, their urupa, their cemeteries, their way of life, their food. It was just taken. So I guess we could debate those ones, you know, forever and ever. And that's why I say that any session on the treaty is about just laying all the stuff out on table so we can see it and then trying to find our way through it. Um, I, I very much doubt we will ever get total agreement. Of course we won't. However, the treaty was signed in good faith. Mm. Uh, we've now reached a stage where there's a lot more open talking, and as these settlements roll out, um, then more and more people are becoming aware.
1: It's, um, it's hard not to have uh, the words of your two students kind of ringing true as we go. Well, really, if we come full circle and come back and go, Let's just look at the. Uh, let's look at this all through the same set of facts as a starting point. Then we'll make our decision. But until we can get to that point where everyone's looking at it with the same set of facts, then we're going to have to reserve judgment because um, bias and all of the other things that we've spoken about come in and sort of cloud the discussion. But I guess that's where the there's the the beauty of the simplicity and complexity at the same time of uh, of of the work that you've got on yeah. on the table. Um. All right, well we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up with I guess one last question, and it, I mean it is a it's a decently chunky one, but um, <laughs> we can go into it as much as we want. But um, obviously, there's another hot topic at the moment, uh, especially with the current government, but also I think it's becoming more and more of a reality uh, in a number of different sectors.
0: What's your hot take on co-governance? <laughs> right, co-governance. Right. So as 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 we know, or sort of know, Treaty of Waitangi. The Treaty of Waitangi has three articles, or it has a has a fourth as well, which is a verbal. But Article One was partnership. Now I think partnership. So this is again, obviously, from my point of view. Partnership sounds nice, because kind of partnership said that us as treaty partners will stand side by side, us too. We'll put our link our arms and we'll walk forward to a shared vision, but as partners. We'll do our things our way, you know. That seems to have just about started to feel like a lot of people were quite okay with that until the word co-governance appeared, which is really the same word, because it was saying that the treaty kind of, if you go from the Māori version and an international law, the Māori text is the legal one, not the English text. So that's under a law called contra preferendum, which is in the United States. Um, courts, um, however, um, oh, what was I saying? Oh, in the in the co-governance, that co-governance was always known. Māori believed that the co-governance in the treaty was sim- was saying that the English people will look after English people, and the Māori look after the Māori because Māori had always looked after the Māori. And the reason why, one of the reasons why Māori were a bit supportive of the treaty in the first place was because it was some of the new settler people who were being the the people who were doing some of the naughty things in this country. Māori said, we'll look after ours, we can do that. So the idea of co-governance, that's how it was always seen, that in fact Māori will co-govern the Māori and the Crown will co-govern the others. So co-governance, See, that's an interesting one because our country is wrestling with it now in the sense of what does co-governance mean? Does it mean 50-50? Well, that's a good discussion. Some people say, well, it can't be 50-50 because Māori are only 17% of the population, so it should be 83-17. True. However, what do we say then to the Māori who say, well, they were 99% at the signing of the treaty? They they signed co-governance partnership. So things have changed. Does that mean what we want to renegotiate the treaty? And of course, that's the thing. We've only got two signed treaties that England ever went into in its colonising times. Um, so it's here. We can read it. It will be here in a thousand years. So we've got to wrestle. So co-governance. Does that mean what that we have two CEOs in a company? Or does it mean that we would have a company with a CEO and then a board and then that board would have another group of, let's say, Māori world entities or kaumātua or whatever and that they would consult with them? But is consulting equal? So I know of lots of organisations who are doing beautiful work where they've got a board and they have another group which they consult and that group advises the board But sees then people say is that is that really partnership when one group's got the power and one group gets to say what they think and the other group decides if they will take it on board so co-governance an interesting one for me um i i love the idea of having if you've got a board of 8 then we'll be co-governed. Half that board will be Treaty Partner One, which is the Combined Confederation of Māori. The other four will be the other treaty partner, which is called the Crown. And so you would have and then that would be interesting because it would mean that if you had to move on anything, you would have to sway at least one person from the other camp into yours. It's controversial, absolutely. As soon as the word is mentioned, and I guess we've just seen it now with the new uh, restructuring of health, which is about co-governance, having two bodies that deliver for the treaty partners. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I mean, these very much, i watch this space, but I guess the one thing that has been in the talk in the last two or three years is we're now talking about it. We've Before, we've just sort of We've tended to talk about the treaty. Now we go Article 1, because we're starting to become a little bit more knowledgeable about what those were. So the idea of co-governance, how do you co-govern? So how does uh, any business co-govern? Does it mean you will have equal board? Does it mean you're going to do it in a different way? Eventually, um, I think... That, that is going to be one of the bigger discussions. I think we can hear it already coming up in some of the other political things that are going on at the moment. Um, so co-governance, uh, I think it's watch the space. Uh, my personal view is I just think, I think it's awesome. We're finally talking. We've kind of moved for probably 160, 150 years after the treaty, we just didn't talk about it. Mm. We now are, and I think we recognize the pain And the pain is not because there are baddies and goodies. The pain is because we're really talking now, and these are huge discussions. And I always think, wow, this will be healthy, because if New Zealand ever decides to go down republicanism, if 20 years, 40 years, whatever, who? Then the treaty will be back again, because the question will be, that was the founding document. So where does that fit? In a constitution for our country. So we have in in our businesses and schools and whatever, we all say, you know, we adhere to the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. We adhere to the principles of Te Tiriti o Waitangi. And I always think, wow, listen to what we're saying. We adhere to the principles. Most of us are not sure what they are, but we are saying we adhere to them. A lot of us have them in our job descriptions. A lot of us have them in our appraisal units that we are going to show, demonstrate, recite, whatever. So maybe we've only reached a stage, and maybe that's what's going on for business. Certainly the the work I'm doing in the business world at the moment, because pe- people are realising that all these words are appearing around us, and we think, well, we probably need to know roughly what they mean and what that does mean for me as well. So I think changing times, I think it's good. I think finally we as a nation will be able to wrestle and we're going to wrestle. But I think that we it's going to be uncomfortable at times because we have to ask questions now and create silence. We no longer ask the question and then fill in the answer after five seconds because they're not ours now. So I sort of know for me, I have to try to be an active treaty partner every day. That's my pledge. Do things that show I'm actively trying to make it work. And that might simply be just saying, mōre na across the road, and not mōre na Mariamā with bad pronunciation, because you're going, hmm. for most of us, we can pronounce. It's that we become nervous we're scared we don't want to get it wrong we don't want to upset but we've got to move past it and we're going to end up possibly a country where all our babies as i said before it's our babies because i listen to them all the time in schools and i just say wow listen to you people as soon as they hear you, you think oh you're from new zealand it's beautiful so it's the treaty in action
1: So there you go, thanks for joining our conversation with Te Moti today. If you'd like to connect more with him, you'll find his details in the show notes. For me, this was a really great discussion which highlights that while Te or o Waitangi promised action and instituted obligations that are referred to daily throughout Aotearoa, only some people of this land know its contents and intent, and in most cases, many more do not. Food for thought till we see you next time so hit subscribe and if you like what you heard today please like review or share with any metalheads you know let's spread the word if you like what you heard today you may be interested in attending titiriti or waitangi workshops that are being facilitated by te Mote in partnership with hera in early 2023 this is a great opportunity to understand how Titeriti relates to our industry and workplaces And to improve your credentials in being a strong cultural partner in business, you'll find details in the show notes.